I noticed everyone was really awake this morning since it took you about five or ten seconds longer to get Kyle's joke. <laughs> it was like a delayed, oh, <laughs> if I have teenagers go to the gathering. Yeah. Um, so, hey, we're glad you're here. Before we get going, I want to just say thank you. Um, I was gone last week, and Brian Richardson, Brian, where are you at? Hey, thank you so much for filling in up here. Did a fantastic job. And, and if you didn't get to be here last week for that, go to shilohroyd.com and check out that message. Um, Brian, that was his first time to preach um, and just did fantastic. So hey, thank you, Brian, um, for sharing that with us and being, um, being up here. So um, as we get moving, we've been in a series talking about the core and what it is that we want to define us as a church over the next um, about 12 or 13 years as we look to 2030. Um, that'd be 12, sorry. Um, math, I, di- I didn't do great in math, so that, yeah, 12. Um, but these core values we've been talking about that we want to define us as a church um, as we exalt encourage and engage. As we exalt Christ, encourage one another, and we engage our neighbor. And those core values that we believe are so important to who we are, that we pursue God together. That as a church body, we are on a mission moving in the same direction with one another. That people matter. People matter to God, and therefore people matter to us. And not just simply we like you being here, but we want you to feel like this is your family. This is where you belong, that you can grow here and that you can walk alongside other people. That we want to be outrageously generous. We want to see people's needs and meet them. We don't want to just be a church that puts a check in a collection plate, but we want to have a culture of seeing people who are hurting, not just here among us, but people in this world outside these walls, and trying the best that we can within our capabilities, um, with the power of the Spirit working through us, to meet the needs of those people. And today I want to talk for just a little bit about circles and not rows, the importance of circles in our lives because community matters. One of the things I think you see in our culture today is a comparison game that we play, especially through social media. Social media, even the news plays into this a little bit. But one of the things that you get to see in social media is you get to see everyone's highlight reels. You get to see pictures like this. There we go. But for every picture like this, there's a picture like this that follows. And then there's the family picture you see like this. But for every picture like this, there's a dozen more that look more like this. And for every picture like this, there's a dozen more pictures that follow that look something like this. And for every picture where your kids are smiling and looking at the camera and doing what they're supposed to, there's another dozen pictures that look more like this. How many people know what I'm talking about? You you go and get your family pictures made, and they come out, and everyone comments, and, oh, it's beautiful, you have a lovely family. And they didn't see the scene 10 seconds before it was shot where you're bribing the kids with money and food and saying, if you'll just smile and act right, we'll take you to McDonald's when we get done, and here's a dollar, and... 
kind of personal, sorry. <laughs> not us. This is another family that I know that I'm pretty close to. But yeah, and, and so what you do is you end up comparing. You, you see this picture of someone's life, this picturesque, perfect life. And what you end up doing is you compare what you don't know about them with what you do know about you. You see how great it looks, but you don't get to see behind the scenes. And I I thought about maybe just doing that one week. Instead of posting all the perfect pictures where I'm smiling with my kids to show the ones where I'm wanting to, like, kill them. But we compare. And this world is producing people who are so disconnected. And I think a lot of it goes back to that. Well, I just I can't relate to that family. I can't relate to them. I've seen what their life looks like. And no, no, here's the deal. You've seen what they want you to think their life looks like. And you're comparing all that you know about yourself to all that you don't know about them. And I'll just tell you, it's an endless race. It's one that you will never win. See, this world becomes, through that lens, so disconnected. And, and we have a world where people are becoming more and more disconnected. That, that actual conversation with someone is more and more difficult because we spend our lives looking down at a phone or maybe buried in a newspaper or a book. And we have garage door openers and privacy fences. And it's really possible in our world to go through our world every single day and not have a legitimate connection with other people. But what if, what if that desire is partially the way that you're wired now? That desire to not fully be known is something we long for. Going back to Genesis, God finishes this good creation and he creates man and then he makes a statement. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. And I think we always look at that and say, okay, the the man and, and wife, they need to be together. But I think it's so much bigger than that. It's not just about this marriage relationship. It's about relationship in general. It's not good to be alone. It's not good to be by yourself. And so God, in the culmination of this creation, creates man and says, it's not good for them to be alone, and so I'm going to create a helper suitable for him. And he gives them this connection, this relationship with one another. And then, you know the story, the serpent enters the garden, and the serpent deceives woman and man. And then this happens in Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the fruit was, of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife excuse me. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So there's this realization that comes as sin enters the world. It's this realization that we are different. And I don't need to go into the biology of it for you to realize that. Oh, okay, we're different. Things look differently, things work differently. We are different. And for the very first time, man and woman see each other not as one, but as others. There is this separation. There is this divide that's going to continue to grow. And so their response to that, the way they solve the problem, is they take fig leaves. And they sew them together so that they can cover themselves. They cover themselves because they don't want everyone else to see what is really there. And then, to top it all off, this relationship, this connection they had with God, they feel is not the same, and now they feel like they need to hide from Him. So not only are man and woman hiding from themselves or from each other, they're now hiding from their creator. They're they're hiding themselves. They're covering themselves. And here's the beautiful thing about fig leaves. Fig leaves allow you to control what everyone else sees. Fig leaves allow you to control what everyone else sees. And there are lots of them that are available to us. They're so readily available, it's perfectly possible for you to cover yourself to the point that no one really knows you. And it's possible to show up here week after week after week and sit here in an auditorium filled with people who say they share the same values as you and yet you have your life falling apart and no one knows it. It's possible. It's possible to hide in plain sight of everyone else. And I think one of the most important lessons we learn from the garden is we have a need to be known. But there is a desire within us that does not want to fully expose everything. We want people to know who we are. We want to feel connection with other people. But we don't want them to know everything. Now, here's why I know that's true. Because if I were to ask you this morning, just think about the deepest, darkest secret in the depths of your life, maybe that no one else knows about. Whatever that is, 
And then just everyone, let's just stand up and just make your way across the auditorium. Find someone you have no idea who it is, and I want you to tell them that deepest, darkest secret or sin. My guess is most people would do this. <laughs> ain't, ain't going. Not doing it. See, we want to be known. But not fully. We don't want everyone to know all the junk in our life. We want to hide stuff. We love the veil that darkness provides. And if we can kind of hide out in the shadows, then everything is okay. Well, at least from the outside looking in. But what happens as you do that longer and longer and longer, you become very anxious about who you are. A couple of weeks ago, um, since every year around Thanksgiving, I tend to struggle with, with eating well. Not, not eating enough, um, but with eating good foods and in moderation. Moderation is probably a pretty good word. Um, and I, I tend to put on some weight. And I was telling a, a mentor of mine, I was saying, you know, I, I've gotten to the point where I'm anxious every morning when I wake up. And I said, I think it's because I'm just eating junk food all the time. And I think it's a lot to do that. And he says, no, I think it's deeper than that. So you've been telling yourself every day that you're going to start eating well. That you're going to do this. And then someone comes along and says, hey, let's go get a bacon cheeseburger. All right, I'll start tomorrow. But, but the problem is, is when you start lying to yourself, there's this disconnect inside of you. Because I'm sitting here thinking, I want to be a person of exceptional character. I want to be a person of integrity. And yet every day I wake up, Every day I say, I'm going to start today. And then I go off the rails and do something else. I just lied to myself. Probably the most important person that need, I need to keep a promise to is me. And, and there's disconnect and there's anxiety that forms because we're not okay with who we are. And what was interesting is all it took was me inviting someone else into that conversation who could say, yes, I understand what you're thinking, but here's how I see it. And why don't you try this? And I'll check on you in a couple weeks and see how it's going. See, every single one of us here knows we need that. And we need people like it. But there is something else inside of us that is terrified by it. Because that exposure, that nakedness that they felt in the garden, it leads to vulnerability, and vulnerability always produces fear. Because you don't want people to know who you are. And God continually is calling his children out of the darkness and into the light. I want you to live in the light. And here's the thing, is you don't do that on your own. I mean, think about this for a second. Jacob, 
under the cover of darkness, marries the wrong woman. That's a pretty bad sign, fellas, when you wake up in bed the next day and it's like, oh, it's you. He marries the wrong woman. And I wonder, I wonder if we live our life in that darkness. If one day we don't wake up and realize that we married the wrong woman. Christ has his bride, his church. And he's invited you, he's invited me to be a part of that. And what happens, the longer we live in darkness, the longest it's covered, the longer it's veiled, the easier it is to grow distant from that calling. In, in the beginning, the, the rabbis say Genesis begins with God separating the light from the darkness. And the rest of the Bible is God teaching His children how to separate the light from the darkness. And so this was the, the problem of the early church. How do you live as children of the light in a world that is dark? A world that is hurting, a world that is broken. How do you, and Peter likes this term, how do you live as exiles, committed to Jesus, committed to following him, and yet fully engaged in what's happening in this world? And if you want to turn to 1 Peter, we're going to be in chapter 1 for just a moment, starting in verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are fully alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written... Be holy, because I am holy. And it's this idea of this moral purity. But the whole purpose of holiness and the meaning behind it was to be a people who are set apart. These people are going to be different than everyone else. They're going to be set apart from the rest of the world. And yet we always have this desire to blend in. To make coverings for ourselves, to hide, to make sure no one else notices us. This goes against everything that's wired inside of you. We want to hide. We want to cover up that vulnerability. We don't want to go out there. We don't want to expose ourselves. And Peter, talking to this church, says, no, you are going to be set apart. You're going to be different for the rest of this world. Be holy as I am holy. And since, verse 17, you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from our ancestors. But with the precious blood 
of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And and as you hear that, I I get this picture from Revelation chapter 5 where John sees this throne room and he's talking and he's saying, Behold, I, I turned around and then I saw the Lion of Judah. But when I turned and looked at the lion, I didn't see a lion. I saw a slain lamb. This one who has been on the throne. Peter says this, this lamb. This lamb, perfect, spotless, blameless, is the one who sits on the throne without blemish or defect. And He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him so that your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself, obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And and go back real quick for me um, to verse 21. This, This really powerful statement. That you believe in Him. You believe in God through Jesus. Because what you've seen in Jesus is a God who surrendered Himself, entering into death, relying on God to raise Him from the dead. I want you to think about this for just a moment. That in the moment on the cross, what Jesus does is He surrenders His divinity and allows Himself to be made of full humanity so that when he dies I believe is incapable of raising himself from the dead what what he has to have in that moment is he has to have God reach into the grave and raise him up Now think about not only what you are giving up, but the amount of trust you are having to put in someone else. To say, I'm willing to fully enter into this death, to this death, so that God will raise me from the grave. And if that's true, that means Jesus needed someone else to help him fulfill his purpose on earth. He needed God to reach into the depths of hell, into the grave, and raise him to life. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. And he goes on to verse, or chapter 2, verse 1. Rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. You know what's pretty amazing about that list? 
is it's possible to be deceitful and no one else to know it. It's possible to be a hypocrite and no one else ever see that. It's possible to envy other people and no one know it. It's possible to come sit here week after week and go to Bible class and do everything and no one really know what's going on inside of you. Because I believe one of our greatest desires is to be hidden. We want to be known, but just not fully. We want people to know what we struggle with, but just not some of it. I would suggest that this doesn't happen on its own. And it's not supposed to. That Jesus calls you to follow him, but he does it in terms of community. Find some other people who have the same purpose and mission as you do and invite them into your life. Allow them to see what's going on deep inside of you. Because you can sit in rows week after week and never let anyone inside. It's a lot more difficult to do that in circles. It's a lot more difficult to do that with a smaller group of people who are walking with you that can hold you accountable. Life change happens in circles, not rows. I think in rows we are convicted, in rows we join together in solidarity, but it's in circles as we gather around other people that we are challenged that we're pushed, that we're encouraged. I I think groups are so important to our church. But I don't want us to be a church that does small groups. I want us to be a church that has a culture of groups. A culture of community. A church that has a culture that says... I know I can't do this on my own, and I need some of you to walk alongside me and hold me accountable. I think the purpose of groups is to bring accountability, to bring belonging, and to bring care. Because it's a lot more difficult to hide with five or six or ten or fifteen people than it is in a group of four hundred. And I would suggest that you need community. As we walk this together, you need other people who are going the same direction as you are. That may look like a small group. It may look like a service group. It may look like a men's group or a women's group. But you need other people who are on this journey 
Burke mentioned the, the sewing sisters, the sisters in service. That is a group that brings community and brings being known to one another. I know there are several groups here of men that meet together in the mornings during the week and say we're going to hold each other accountable. And women who do the same thing, there are small groups, e-groups that meet at night. But what I want to, to pour into you and what I want this culture to be about is you need that community. And I really don't care what it looks like. I don't care if it looks like a traditional small group I don't care if it looks like a service group. You need that community if you're going to grow as a follower of Jesus. Because left on your own, you're going to pick all the fig leaves you can find and cover up all the stuff you don't want anyone else to know about. See, that's what we do with the comparison game. We compare what we don't know about them with what we do know about us. We hide behind it. And my guess is one of the biggest reasons marriages crumble in our culture is because we hide one of the biggest reasons for conflict in our culture is because we don't want people to know what's going on. We want to be protected. We want to be hidden. We don't want to be vulnerable. But your identity, the baptized the followers of Jesus are called to be set apart. Are called to be holy. And you don't get there on your own. You need other people to surround you. You need other people to walk with you. Don't do this by yourself. Today, um, there's a rather unimportant game between the hated New England Patriots and the hated Philadelphia Eagles. I'm hoping Justin Timberlake wins. <laughs> but to get to this point of the season... These teams have great individual athletes who individually are putting in work. And they have trainers, and they have dietitians, and they have strength people, and they have position coaches, and they're working really hard individually. And then you have these smaller groups and these units of them. You have your linebackers and defensive linemen and your defensive coordinator and your offensive coordinator and you you try to get these individuals to gel as a unit and then you have this bigger picture of an entire team and so it's not to say that the individual your individual pursuit of Jesus is not important or, or collectively as a church it's not important it's just the group it's it's all of this together 
You need to gather with the body, with the church, weekly, and worship together and celebrate together and encourage together. And you also need some other people who are going on the same journey as you are, maybe who have been where you are, who can walk with you in those times and help you grow collectively. And then you also need this pursuit personally in your life where you're growing in your faith. And your life as a follower of Jesus is made up collectively of that whole and not just one part of it. You can't just say, well, I want the individual part and the church part, but I don't need the community part. And you can't say, I just need the individual part and the rest of it doesn't really matter. You need all of this. If you're going to grow as a follower of Jesus, you need other people in your life. That's what we're called to be. So, here's what I want to do this morning. If you don't have that community, I want to encourage you to begin seeking it out. If you don't have that community, whether it's a traditional group, whether it's a men's group or a women's group or a service group, I want you to write on one of those prayer cards, I need a group. And if you have a preference in that direction, write that on there. And write your name and your phone number and leave it at the Welcome Center. Begin seeking out community. And if you have a group that we don't know about, that people are welcome to be a part of, whether it's service or men's or women's, would you call the office this week and say, I have a group And we would love other people to join. So that as people are coming into our church family, we can help better connect them to a group. Also, through our website, you can go to um, Connect and eGroups, and there's a form there where you can fill out to be in a group. Um, we, We were looking at it this week, and we realized the form was broken. And so several people have filled out forms, and we have not gotten back with you because we didn't know they were there. And so we are going to try to follow up on those this week to get you connected to a group. So this is your challenge this week, is find community. And if you you have other people and you just want to start a group, great. Call us at the office and we'll tell you and and we'll help you in any way we can. Say there's three or four couples, we want to start a group, great. We'll help you on that. Whatever we can do, Um, There's a group that meets here at the building on most weeks. Um, Find a place to connect. Find that deeper sense of community. You need to be known as much as you don't want to be. You need a group of people that know you, that can see you, and that can call you to follow Jesus closer. Father, um, help us to push back against the fear of being known. And Father, to find ourselves in you. To find ourselves in community with other people who are moving in the same direction as we are that can help us as we follow Jesus. Father, we do. We want so badly to surrender to you, to give you everything we have. But Father, there is part of us that is so afraid of doing that. Father, we know that we can find strength in other people who desire the same as we do.
So Father, we pray for courage today to allow ourselves to be known. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could help you in any way this morning, if you want to give your life to Christ, be baptized into Him, we want to offer you that invitation. Um, but if you could, you simply just need prayers wherever you are. We're going to have our shepherds, our ministry staff around this auditorium in the back especially. Um, go, allow them to pray over you, pray for you. Whatever your need, come while we stand and sing.